this year, uh, we're talking about good news in four letters. Uh, we're studying Galatians right now. And I, again, I, I hope you're not getting tired of this. You've only heard it, uh, what, 10 weeks? I mean, surely you're just now getting excited about it. We're talking about the gospel. And, and everyone has a gospel, right? Everyone has a gospel. And it's important that you know your gospel. Why? Because, let's say it together, the gospel you believe determines... Everyone's got a gospel. Everyone's living for something. Everyone's got a reason what drives them. And the gospel you believe, it determines the life that you live. We're talking about experiencing the gospel, this good news of God. To experience something is to have your, your head and your heart and your hands engaged in the process. It's, not, it's just not academic. It's, it's not just sentimental. It's not just functional. It's all three. And so we're talking about experiencing this good news. And to, to help us, we're studying Galatians. And so if you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, I want you to go ahead and, and turn to Galatians 4. If you didn't bring a copy of the scriptures, there's, there's a Bible in the pew rack in front of you. Feel free to use that. And if you don't have a Bible, take that home with you. That's our gift to you. We've got plenty. We want everyone to have access to God's word. What we're looking at today as we get into, continue into chapter 4 is we're going to consider the benefit of experiencing friendship. One of the things to, to note about our God He's a relational God, and this is a part of the mystery of God. Our minds can't understand uh, the, this, this reality that our God is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and as such, he is a relational being. If not, he could not be love. God is love. The Bible tells us that. We know that. But if there was no one to love, then there would be no love. There would only be love in time and space after he'd created it, but that's not true. God is infinite and eternal. And as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, He has always existed in this bond of love, always satisfied in and of Himself, always adored, always, always glorified, always pleased within Himself. And, and that's a comfort to us. And I hope that you understand that. God does not need you, but He wants you. You cannot manipulate God because you don't have anything that, that He needs. He wants your heart. He wants your life to be melded with his. But God in and of himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, completely satisfied. Do you know what? We were once satisfied with them. When God made us, the human race, he made us to be in harmony with him, within, with others. But sin destroyed that. But what we're studying, this good news, this gospel tells us that if we will repent and believe, turn away from self-sufficiency, turn away from the things of this world, if we will trust in Christ and what he has accomplished, that's the gospel, repent and believe the gospel, we will be free to pursue and recover God's design. And God's design, it includes healthy relationships. It includes us being in Friendships. It includes us having people in our lives that we relate to. And, and if I'm honest with you, without the gospel, you can't, you can't be much of a good friend. Because if you don't have peace with God, your identity is being drawn by something you can't keep, which means you're unstable. If you don't have peace with him because you don't have peace with God, th there are things that are missing that you can't bring to the relationship that are needed. And, and you can't fully have peace with others because if you're not at peace with God and peace with self, then you're always going to be unstable. And you may have moments of peace, but there's not a sustaining harmony. This comes only by the power of the gospel. And this peace of God, it makes friendships possible. 
Having been made in God's image, we are made for friendships. And, and that's why we have groups here at Living Hope. Uh, there's three types of groups that, that we're focusing in on right now. There are uh, men's discipleship groups, there's women's discipleship groups, and there's connect groups. Uh, I think the first two are pretty clear. Now, men, I want to tell you, I want to invite you to an event on Wednesday night, March 22nd. And this is a, this, our goal is to encourage you, but also to help you get connected with other men in groups. Scott Patty is uh, my mentor. He's mentored me uh, since uh, 1989. He has been a key leader in my life. I met with Scott just a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about him coming and, and speaking to our men. He's gonna spend the afternoon with our staff and, and elders and then that, that night, guys, he's gonna get together with us and he's gonna talk to us about it, engaging in faithfulness. What does that look like? To, to be faithful to, to the Lord and, and to what he's called us to. And our hope is to get you plugged into other uh, groups with men, small groups, a, a discipleship group. Ladies, uh, you guys have Lyft. Y'all just had an event just a few weeks ago. And that's something we do pretty regularly. Connect groups, they typically come out of our rooted groups. If you've never been in rooted, you need to sign up for that. But if you wanna be in a connect group, again, Call Jeremy Wade, uh, all their information. Charity uh, leads our women's ministry. Clay leads our men's ministry, uh, along with many other things. Uh, Jeremy leads almost all of our groups. He has his hands in that. On the app, on our website, just, just mail, email them. Just call them. Let them know, hey, I'm interested. Someone will get back to you. We will help you get connected because it's crucial for our health, for our mental, our emotional, our spiritual health. That, that we be connected. And that's why our nation today is in peril. Here's, here's a little fun fact for you. It's not so fun. A recent report issue from the Survey Center on American Life says, the role of friends in American social life is experiencing a profound decline. Americans report having fewer close friendships than they once did, talking to their friends less often and relying less on their friends for personal support. Look at this, 50% have fewer than three close friends. And look at this number, 12% say they have no close friends at all. That's 40 million people in our country. We have a problem and the church has the solution in Jesus Christ, in the gospel. Because in, in the gospel, we can have gospel-based friendships. We can have this relationship with God where we have peace with God, we can have peace within so that we can have peace with others and we can connect with other people. But that's not happening, it's not just here. You realize in 2018, I, I thought this was a joke when I first read it, but it's not, it's, it's a sad truth. In Great Britain, they now have a minister of loneliness. They have a government official paid with staff and resources to attack the loneliness issue facing their country because it's devastating their society. Friends, we are made for friendships. And what we have in the gospel is we have gospel-based friendships. Here we are in what they call the most connected society in the world, and yet people are friendless. What our scripture shows us is the great blessing that we have as Christians, particularly as Christians, those who are following Jesus Christ and what it means to experience friendship. So you're there in Galatians chapter four. Let's go, uh, we're gonna be in verses eight through 20, but let's jump down to verses 16. Carson's gonna come and read this for us. So let's all stand together in honor of God's word. This is Carson. Carson's gonna read for us Galatians chapter four, 
verses 16 through 19, right in the smack in the middle of our text for today. Carson, read that for us. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. Well done, Carson. Thank you. My mind went to verse 20. There's something powerful there I just captured in my, in my head, but I, 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 if we'll get it if we get there, all right? This is a fun text. There's a lot going on. The Apostle Paul, you know, he is really torn up about these folks. Let's remember who he's writing to. He's writing to these churches in Galatia. He's part of their first missionary journey. He grew up not too far from these folks, and so he understands their culture. And he's really tore up because these folks embraced the gospel, and now they're, they're, they're going into belief into a false gospel. Today, what we see is they're falling, falling back. And, and, and what Paul is doing is he's being, he is being a good friend. He's being a good friend. I am so grateful that, that throughout my lifetime, I've almost always had good friends. Once I was saved, I've always, since the moment of my salvation, I've had uh, gospel-based friendships. And, and it's interesting to me, when I look back um, on my career in athletics, one of the things I realized is I don't miss the game so much as I miss the guys. I, I miss those friendships and that camaraderie. And one of the things I love about my Christian faith and my Christian life is that it, it provides for me relationships that are, that are more potent and more powerful and way more important than, than those relationships I used to, to enjoy as an athlete. Because our purpose is greater and, and the need and the, and the role that God has given us is so significant. And we get to do this together. And, and those relationships that happen, well, they're a part of, 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 of what really makes life rich. You know, one of the things we got to be careful of here at Living Hope is that we are so blessed with so many amazing programs. I mean, we can, we can get busy around here. Have you noticed that? We can get busy. You know, don't tell us you're bored because we got something for you to do, all right? You know, there's nothing, there's nothing a, a Christian minister hates more than to see somebody sitting around. Don't let me see you sitting around. I will put you to work because there's always something to do. It's like a farm around here. But we got to be careful that in the midst of our busyness that we miss out on the main point. The main point is our relationship with God and with one another. The main point is that we have relationships Friends, let's not get so busy and engaged in our programs and our ministries and our, oh, we gotta, we gotta get here, we gotta get to worship, we gotta, we gotta do, we gotta serve, we gotta, oh, we gotta, we gotta clean up the house, we gotta get the group, we gotta, and, and we begin checking off boxes rather than experiencing relationships with people. All of that we do is meant to encourage and strengthen our relationship with God and with one another. Each one of us, we need people in our lives that can call us out when we're when we're going astray, that can encourage us when we succeed or fail, that can care for us when we're hurt. And we do that for one another. It's not just a one-way street. But what we see in our text in today is what it looks like when we're experiencing friendship, these gospel-based friendships. There's four things I would encourage you to write down and remember. The first one is this. Gospel-based friends engage one another. Gospel-based friends, they engage one another. So you, you look in verses 8 and 11, and, and again, Paul's upset. And, and he's, he's concerned. And, and notice what he's doing here. There's something wrong, and he refused to ignore it. 
I'm going to talk about some things that are true in our society throughout this message. And I don't mean that to, to have this, this, you know, we're better than them thing. That's not the point at all. I, I say it to make sure that we're not drifting into this mindset. See, there, there is in our society this, this thought, this idea that if you really care about something, that you will accept them as they are no matter what. You'll accept them. That's not, that doesn't fly with Jesus. Jesus does not accept us. He loves us as we are, but he doesn't accept us as we are. He loves us to save us, to transform us into the image of Christ. And so those of us who are in gospel-based friendships, we don't just accept one another and all of our sin and all the intricacies of, of what causes brokenness. No, we're in a gospel-based friendship. That means we have to engage one another. We have to be willing to say, I don't think this is right. I don't think this is what you, what you want to do. I don't think this is biblical. I don't think this is the best way forward. And we're able to talk with one another about what we're doing. These, these people were turning away from God and his gospel. And Paul engaged them in a conversation. Now look what he said here. They were returning, first of all, to idols. Look at verse 80. It says, enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. We're all tempted with idolatry. And you, you guys know my favorite way to describe this with the four P's. You know this? Can you say it out loud? I think we're going to put it on the screen so you can cheat if you don't know it. Power, pleasure, popularity, possessions. These are the four idols that we are constantly tempted to replace God with. Power, pleasure, popularity, possessions. Now, what makes this difficult is that these things are, are not necessarily immoral. See, there's, there's a lot of people who think like other world religions that Christianity is about being a, a good person. And so long as you're a so-called good person, then, then you're fine. And so when, when we talk about idolatry, most people look at us like, what are you talking about? These things aren't immoral, then why do you care? Well, here's why we care. Here's because of what the Bible says. The Bible says that whenever you take something that was made by God for his glory and our use and make it a God, it becomes a weapon that harms us. Whenever you take a good thing and you use it outside of the bounds that God created, it becomes a weapon that causes you harm and those around you. That's what idolatry does. It weaponizes a good thing that causes us harm. It enslaves us is what Paul says. And, and we've got to understand our tendencies. Listen, you need to be in a group, ladies, you need to be in a group with other women who already know your tendencies toward idolatry. Men, you need to be in a group with other men where you can talk candidly about the idolatries that you, that you face regularly. And they need to know you well enough. When you say, hey, I'm gonna be here, you need to have a friend that says, all right, I'm gonna ask you. I'm gonna ask you about that. And, and ladies, same with you. And, and husbands and wives, we gotta have that for each other. We gotta have it for our children. We have to have it in our families and amongst our friends. And that's what group life is meant to, to create and foster is this, this place where we can have people who understand our tendencies towards sin and can help guide us, engage us away. Another one is, is Christless worldviews. Look in verse nine. He's talking about the, the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world. See, everyone looks at the world through a particular lens. 
Everyone sees the world from a particular perspective. As Christians, we see the world through scripture and we have what is called a biblical worldview. Everyone has a worldview. Ours is described as biblical because everyone's always asking four fundamental questions and everyone's answering these four fundamental questions and it, and it basically creates their worldview. So what are the four questions and how does the Bible answer them? Number one, the first of the four ultimate questions is who am I? Who am I? And the Bible says you are a human being made in the image of God, creation. You're going to notice something here in these four questions that, that we say about Scripture. There's one story in four parts. It's amazing how the four fundamental ultimate questions that everyone answers is, 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 is answered for us with a biblical worldview in the very four sections that the, the Scripture is divided in. So the, four, the first one is, who am I? Second question is, what went wrong? The Bible teaches that humanity sinned and we are facing the consequences. That's the fall. So everyone's asking, who am I? And everyone's asking, what went wrong? As Christians with a biblical worldview, we say, I'm, I'm a human being made in the image of God. I, I, I know why things are bad is because we sinned and we broke our relationship with God. So now we have a broken relationship with God, broken relationship within, broken relationship with others. Well, who can fix it? That's the third question. Who can fix it? The Bible tells us that the gospel of Jesus can save and restore peace. That's the rescue. Jesus Christ has come to rescue. So we have peace with God, peace within, peace with others. Final question. What is my hope? What is my hope? Here's our hope. Jesus shall return and make all things new. That's the restoration. The Bible is one story in four parts. Creation, fall, rescue, restoration. With a biblical worldview, we answer the four ultimate questions according to, to the very divisions of the Bible. Who am I? Human being made in the image of God, according to creation. What went wrong? We've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the fall. Who can fix it? Jesus Christ, the one who was sent by the Father to redeem us and rescue us from sin. What's my hope? Here's my hope. This world is not my home. Can I get an Amen. Our hope is found in heaven and that's where we're headed. And so our hope is that Christ is one day going to return. He's going to make all things new. Now, all other worldviews, and there are many of them, they are weak and worthless. That's what the scripture says. The weak and worthless elementary principles of the world. We must engage each other with biblical worldview. You, you are not what you've done. You are you are loved by God, made in his image. You've been saved by God. You are not what happened to you. You're a born again believer. Yes, this happened to you. That doesn't define you. What you have, what you're holding on to, what other people think of you, all that stuff that, that what you perceive as success doesn't define you. You're defined by the love of Jesus Christ. And that changes everything about you. And we've got to engage one another with this worldview, with this truth. Another thing he said they're falling back in, look in verse 10, is dead religious systems. He said, you observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm going to tell you something, guys. Religion is boring and it's easy. When I was uh, a student, when I was studying, uh, I spent a semester at Baptist Hospital, then Baptist Hospital, uh, uh, serving as a chaplain on a particular floor. 
And so every day I would go in and visit patients and just provide pastoral care. It was amazing to me. I had pretty much the same conversation as a, as a minister of the gospel. It was interesting to talk to people with, with religion. Some claimed Christ, some claimed Hinduism, some claimed nothing, some were um, Jewish, some were Muslim, all different religions. And, and the people that only had a religion, they weren't real interested in talking about their God. It was just real humdrum. It's like, yeah, yeah, I was this, I was this, yeah. But when I would go and I would visit someone who was a born-again believer, whole different game, whole different conversation. Oh, if I go, I know where I'm going. Oh, pastor, well, young man, why don't you read a scripture? Young man, why don't you sit down right here and I'm gonna have you read a few scriptures. I, I can remember one sweet lady, she made me read Romans 8 over and over again. And I thought, maybe she doesn't realize that there are other portions of the Bible. And I suggested that. She told me to be quiet and read Romans chapter eight. And I read Romans chapter eight. There's a difference in those who trust in Christ. We, we, we have a passion it's not boring religion. Friends, if you're here today, I'm sorry I'm not a very good speaker, but I, I, this stuff is good news. And I'm telling you, if this is boring, it's because it's not grabbed your heart. It's, it's something has escaped your mind. If you're not living for this every day, you're believing a lie, you need to figure out what that is. See, Paul's heart was hurting because he wondered, am I, I am afraid I, I have, look at verse 11, I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. See, I, I'm, I, I'm concerned that all this was just a show. I'm concerned that all of this is not true, that everything that I know that is powerful about our God is absent in you. He said, I'm concerned about you. And what we need to do with one another is when we don't see Christ, when we don't hear Christ, when we don't sense Christ, we need to call each other out. We need to engage with one another. Second thing, and, and this is kind of a part of the way we engage is we help one another. Gospel-based friendships help one another. Paul was reminding them of their friendship and the way they gave him help here in 12 through 16. Apparently, Paul had gotten sick at some point. And he said, you know, you would have, got, you would have taken your own eyes out for me at that point. You know, what's, what's, what's going on? What's happening here? You know, one of the things we do as friends is, is we help each other by setting godly examples for one another. Look at verse 12. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am. You know, twice a year we have family dedication. It's one of my favorite Sundays of the year. I can't believe it. We're almost two months away from it. Can you believe that? By the way, it's, it's, it's March. What? I know it feels like summer out there. It's supposed to snow sometime, I'm sure. It's, we, we, we live here. So we were talking this morning about that wind. Someone says, well, we don't have hurricanes in Kentucky. We did last week. It's Kentucky. You're welcome. So what was I talking about? Oh, yes, we were talking about this. I, I get off with, with this, this weather stuff. So we, what we have to do, though, is we have to understand that, that we have to be there for one another. So when we do family dedications, what we're doing is we're saying, Mom and Dad, we're going to help you. Mom and Dad, as you're setting an example for your child in the gospel, when you bring that child to church or when your child sees me out in public, here's what the, you can know. I'm going to be helping you so that you can point to me and say, that's what I want you to be. That's what we're aiming for. That's the example. See how, how life has gone. See how they've gotten in that car accident. Look how kind they're being to the person who ran into them. Look at the words they're using. Well, that's a little convicting, isn't it? 
But friends, that's what we got to do. We've got to be an example in all seasons, in all situations, and be mindful that that is our role in one another's life. When we got to get involved, look at verse 12, for I, I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. He's saying, look, I, I came and engaged with you the same way Jesus did with us. Jesus got involved with us, friends. He didn't love us from heaven. He got engaged. He got into it to help us. This is Hebrews 2.17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For he himself has suffered when tempted. Look at this. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Christ helps people who are being tempted through his body. We are the body of Christ. And we're, we're here to ask each other hard questions. Look at verse 15 and 16. He says, what then has become of your blessedness? For I testify that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Paul made it clear that what they were doing was hurtful. They were hurting themselves. They were hurting him. And we need to help each other not, not cause harm. And that means sometimes we have to ask hard questions. You know, one of my favorite basketball coaches, he makes me laugh. I love to watch him. One of the things he, he does every now and then, he'll yell at a player and just, what are you doing? And it was, it's a rhetorical question, by the way. And it was so funny. One, one time he yelled at, and a player literally stopped and he said, well, what I was trying to do, he said, don't talk back to me, just run. So he runs down there and he said, what zone are we in? Answer me, why aren't you talking to me? He's losing his mind. <laughs> That's not what we want to do as friends. We want to sit down in, a, in, a, in the appropriate way, at the appropriate time, and say, man, what, what are you doing? Girlfriend, what are you doing? Are you trying to destroy your marriage? Are you trying to cause harm to your family? Are you trying to hurt that other family? Are you trying to lose your job? Are you trying to make the name of Christ look bad? Are you trying to do that? Because if so, you're succeeding and you need to stop. We gotta ask hard questions. We gotta engage with one another. We gotta help each other and we do it with love. Third thing, gospel-based friendships. Gospel-based friends love one another. All right, I gotta talk about this. There is a slogan in our society right now. It's called love is love. Love is love. And you know what? They're not, they're not wrong. Love is love. But fr friends, we got to remember, we share a same vocabulary, but we don't use the same dictionary as the world. And, and one of the things that we need to understand is that when, when we are talking about love, we're talking about giving. Our culture doesn't see it that way. Love is based on what they get. And this has, been, this has been seen in many films. It's been seen in, in, in all, all kinds of songs. But years ago, um, there, there was a movie that came out. It was called Jerry Maguire. And the, 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 the highlight of the movie, when he's going to win the girl's heart, you remember? Some of you know this one. Don't memorize this. This is trash. But here's what he said. I'm going to put it on the screen. He said, you complete me. And then she said some nonsense about you had me at hello. It's sad that I remember that. But the point is, the way the world says I love you is, is so long as you're giving me what I want, we can have a connection and I'll call it love. 
It's not love. Let me give you another word. It's desire. It's not love. It's desire. What is desire? Desire is a general or transient longing, a conscience impulse towards something that promises enjoyment or satisfaction and its attainment. Western culture's wrong definition of love says what, what you can give me makes me desire you. Here's the problem with desire. They don't desire you anymore. They don't need you anymore. They don't want you anymore. See, when it's love, it's about what can I give you? It's not what I, can I get from you? And, and when it's love, it stays strong. It's really sad. I, I've seen this in some um, secular wedding ceremonies. When I perform a wedding, part of the vow is until death parts us. In many of the secular so-called wedding ceremonies, it says until it is no longer mutually beneficial. And that's the mentality of our world's definition of love. What can you give me? I desire you, and, and so long as I desire you and I can get something out of you, we'll be in a relationship and we'll call it love. And that is so weak compared to what God says it is. This, you know this one, first, uh, first Corinthians 13, love is patient and kind, does not envy or boast, it's not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it's not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, rejoices with the truth, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Friends, love is not about getting, it's about giving. Jesus said, this is Acts 20, 35. Remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And how did God show his love for us? You know this one, don't you? For God so loved the world that he did what he gave. That's what love is. Love is giving. Love is giving. It's not getting, it's giving. And, and when we give that love and we share that love, the, the, there's a power. And, and you gotta understand that people will try to manipulate you with that. Verse 17, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. What were they trying to do? They were trying to get from the Galatians. They were desiring their praise, their, their influence. They were desiring from them. They didn't love them, they desired them. So they manipulated them. Love does not manipulate. Love gives, love encourages, love does all that the scripture says here. That's why we hear, see in Philippians 2, 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. You, you love. And then last thing, gospel-based friends form one another. Verse 19, my little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone. I am perplexed about you. That's what friends are. We're concerned. And there is a desire to form each other. This is Romans 8, 29. We looked at this last week. For those, he, for, uh, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. The goal of the Christian is to be like Jesus. This is 2 Corinthians 3, 18. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. We're being transformed, we're being changed. I, I read and, and heard this metaphor this week and, and I wanna share it with you. I want you to think about it this way. Jesus is the ultimate song. 
and the gospel and the Bible are the notes. And as we go throughout the week, we're going to get off pitch. Many of you know who've ever sat over in my blessed section of, of the sanctuary that I can't sing well. I can sing, I just don't sing well. That's why I sit on the front row so that the sound is lost in the muffle of the, of the, of the stage. But for those of you who sing well, you know what it is when you're singing someone next to me. And you know, sometimes you have to nudge me. I, I remember um, several years ago, I was out in the front yard and had my worship songs going and I was just cleaning up some stuff and Carrie came out, looked very perplexed. And I was like, what's wrong? She goes, what is that noise? And then she realized it was me singing and, um, and, and I needed to get on pitch. I, actually, I just needed to bring it down a little bit. You know what I mean? I want you to think about your life as, 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 as you singing. And, and what we do for one another is we remind one another how we're to sing. Jesus is the song and he's the only one who ever sang it perfectly. But as we form one another, as we come alongside one another, as we love and as we help and as we engage one another, we make our lives, we make our song more like Christ, more beautiful, powerful. And this is our goal. And, and something happens in a church, something happens in a society. A.W. Tozier in The Pursuit of God says, the whole church of God gains when the members that compose it begin to seek a better and higher life. And that happens as we form one another into Christ's likeness. And so I have, I have to ask you, what is forming you? Is it the gospel? Or is it some worthless thing? Something you can't keep? Are you saved? Is your life in Christ? Are you seeking to sing the song? If not, why not? And, and maybe today you need to begin the song. You need to be saved. You need to be baptized. You need to become a part of this family of faith. Now, some of you are. How's that song going? Do you have friends that are there to help you? Real friends? Maybe you need to pray about that and get a commitment to that. All of us need help. And we can always turn to God. But remember, we are the body of Christ. And one of the ways that God helps us often is through his church. And so pray for the church. Let's stand together as we pray. Care leaders, if you would, come forward. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in our midst. And we, we, we are grateful that this scripture that we studied today, it's not foreign to us. I don't, I don't know that anything in this this morning was was... Uh, radically new. I, I believe we talk about these things regularly, but if we're not careful, we can regularly ignore them and become comfortable with that. And so, so I pray today for a measure of conviction, a, a measure of encouragement also for those who are walking in this way of bound friendships, not, not because they're in a program, but because they genuinely have people that, that they engage with, help, love, and, and are, are helping form and be formed by. God, I pray for some who are here today who've never trusted you, Lord Jesus, and given their life to you and began to sing the song 
of Christ alive in me. And I pray that today would be the day that they are saved. We, we, we know that we can do this because of your mercy. We know that we have this hope because of what you've done, Lord Jesus. And so we leave today singing of this mercy, delighting in your goodness. But God, bless those who come now for, for counsel and guidance and prayer. We love you, God, in Jesus' name, amen.